psalmist says, your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a goodness, a graciousness, a graciousness that comes with basking in the presence of the Lord. And even as we have entered into this house of worship one more time, may we come with prayerful and receptive hearts, knowing that even though you may have been through this week, even the challenges that you may have faced this week, that God has been faithful. And the fact that you are here living and breathing is a testament and a testimony to his goodness and his mercy. See, God didn't have to put food on your table or clothes on your back. He didn't have to allow you to wake up and go to that job that's paying the bills and supporting your family. It was his mercy that even when you were being sinful on the job, even when you were not thinking about the goodness of God, he was thinking about you. His goodness and his mercy. Now we bask in that and may the cares of this world that have so infected us this morning, even on Sunday morning, even as we enter into worship, the cares of this life are heavy over us. Our task list is heavy over us. The issues of life are heavy over us even now. And my encouragement is not to ignore it. My encouragement is to be biblical. And God says, cast your cares upon me. Because he's faithful. So even as we come before the mighty throne of grace this morning, may we do so with hearts that are dependent and desperate for Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Gracious and eternal Father, your word declares that you are the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Your word declares that you are keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Lord, you are worthy of our affections. And you are worthy of our praise this morning. For worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. For by your hands all things were created. Because of your will, they exist and were created. 
So, Father, even now we acknowledge your power and your presence in this place, that we can do nothing without you. So, Father, I ask that you will help us to abide in Jesus this morning. May we be connected to the vine, that you may renew our strength, that you may open up our eyes, open up our ears, and prepare our hearts to receive your word with joy and gladness. Father, I ask that you would have mercy upon us by pouring out your Holy Spirit, causing us to reflect upon our own sinfulness and to run immediately to the foot of the cross and to confess our sins. For you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. Father, I beg that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will cause us to understand and comprehend the good news of Jesus Christ and that we will rest not in our ability, not in what we have accomplished this week, but we will rest in Jesus and what he has already accomplished on Calvary's cross. Father, help us to be faithful to you. Father, I ask that you would guide my lips and guard my heart, that you would be exalted in this place today. For the one who was far from you this morning, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would draw them near and that your word would accomplish much and transform me, us from the inside out. Father, remind us that we don't have to fake it until we make it. We just depend upon you because you are already victorious. So have mercy and help us to hear. Speak, Lord. May your servants listen. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Forest family. It is so good to be with you. It's a privilege to be before you this morning. Uh, again, a welcome to the church gathered at Forest Baptist. And even as we enter to worship this morning, uh, we will be uh, preparing our hearts to begin a new book study. And for, for many of us, we, we rarely read from the Old Testament. Uh, once we get past those first couple of books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know that, that, that yearly reading plan, you get, you get stuck in Leviticus and you just kind of give up. But once you get past that, the, the, the Old Testament is rich. It is so rich and the Old Testament has a word for us today. It is still required reading for every Christian. Uh, and with that said, though we may not have studied the Old Testament, the Lord still wants us to be faithful to his word. So we will be beginning a new sermon series going through the book of Habakkuk this morning. Uh, Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Uh, for him to be declared a minor prophet does not mean that he is less important but really, he's a minor prophet because of the length of the book. Uh, the major prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, are they're called major prophets because of the length of their books. But then you go through Hosea and Jonah, Amos, Obadiah. You go through all of those, those books towards the, the back of the Old Testament, right before you get to the Gospels. Those are the minor prophets. So Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Its, uh, it's length is really just three chapters. 
In total, 56 verses complete. Why would we be looking at the book of Habakkuk? You know, as the Lord moved and steered my heart towards this, uh, this, this sermon series, um, he began to reveal books of the Bible that are able to speak to us right now where we are. And I believe that this book study will actually help, uh, help us and direct us as we seek to make sense in a world gone crazy. As we seek to make sense in this world in which we live. In the book of Habakkuk, this, this prophecy is taking place during a time of political turmoil in the life of Judah and the surrounding world. During the time of Habakkuk, the Assyrian Empire begins to fall and a new power is coming on stage. The Chaldeans, or, or better known as the Babylonians, are coming into power. They have usurped the authority of the Assyrians and they have laid hold to the throne. And now they, they are rising in power and because of this transition of power, all of the uh, allegiances and all of the alliances and all of the smaller countries, all of their political systems are thrown in turmoil and, and, and uproar because they don't know what's going on. They're, they're afraid of the Babylonians. Even though they were under Assyrian rule, they, they kind of knew what to expect. But now a new power was on the rise. And this was a wicked and sinful power, even more heinous and evil than the Babylonians in their treatment of the countries and the nations that they conquered. So the world is in turmoil. The, the, the world is, is broken and we see the, the, the birth pains of this world power coming into play. But not only that, there is moral decline in Judah. See, before the reign of King Josiah, Judah had turned away from God under the leadership of King Manasseh and King Amnon. And during the reign of those wicked kings, God promised that he would judge Judah because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion. And even though Josiah came and brought reforms to the nation, God still said that they would be punished because of their sinfulness, because of their wickedness, because of their disobedience. So that uh, the country, the nation of Judah was in moral decline. Judah was filled with internal corruption, morally and spiritually corrupt, steeped in idolatry, steeped in immorality. They were still taking part in child sacrifice to the God of Molech. But then one thing to note that Habakkuk speaks out the most against, he, the fact that injustice, and oppression are rampant in the streets of Judah. It seems that the evil are having their way with the just, and no one is listening to those who are being oppressed. Spiritual conditions were at an all-time low in Judah. I don't know about you, but Habakkuk sounds like today. We find ourselves in the middle of political and world turmoil. World powers are rising and world powers are falling. Elite, new allegiances are being made. Old ones are being lost. 
as we look out over the nations and we see the news and we say, what is going on? North Korea, what? Russia, what? And we're looking and, and, and we can respond in, in fear because of the turmoil that is going on in the world around us. And I don't know about you, but on the nightly news, there has not been a night where there is not breaking news. I, I tell my wife all the time, I says, is there breaking news every single night? From immigration to Russian interference to open racial hostility in a politically polarized nation which has brought cooperation and compassion to a screeching heart. Folks can't even have a decent conversation with one another without going off. We see it on our Facebook streams and our Twitter feed. We, we can't even have a decent conversation if we disagree with anyone. Now, mind you, in the midst of all of this, and I'm, I'm about to take a, 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 a sad note, any type of policy or law that goes against the heart of Scripture is evil and wicked. It's one thing for the world to love a law that oppresses and marginalizes, but it's another thing for Christians to agree with a law that oppresses and marginalizes. Any it, Fundamentally, but it, it doesn't matter your political affiliation. Any law, any executive order that goes against the heart of scripture and biblical theology is evil and wicked. Show me in scripture. You just tell me in scripture, fundamentally, again, no matter what, what what's your politics, in scripture, is it good to split up a family? In scripture, is it right to love your neighbor? When we're thinking about how we're interacting with life and we're interacting with people, if scripture does not capture your gaze, if, if, if your personal fears and personal desires are, are what's driving you, you are not following the spirit of Christ. And we have to be mindful as Christians in this society, it is easy to be, to, to be labeled and to be put in a box where you fit in. But Jesus it was an independent because he was the one leading the charge. And we follow Christ Jesus. So in the midst of this polarized nation, political turmoil, we also have a moral decline. Now, beloved, I don't believe there's ever been an a golden age of morality in this nation. Yet the pervasiveness and of wickedness and immorality is incredible these days. That which God declares good, this world declares bad. And that which God declares bad, this world declares good. The system has completely turned itself upside down we are in moral decline in this country not only that injustice and oppression are still rampant it's like we've been taking crazy pills the abnormal has become normal beloved god will not sit idly by and accept our brazen disobedience 
for Judah's sinfulness, judgment is coming. Because they have turned their back on God, judgment is coming. Beloved, God have mercy on us. Because judgment is coming and, and as we work through this text, I believe it has already come in various ways because of our brazen disobedience. And the only reason that God even holds back from throwing more judgment is the prayers of his people to have mercy upon us. So we're praying that God would have mercy. In the book of Habakkuk, there are many themes. And some of the major themes that we see is that uh, we see God's policy and how he handles the nations. God has a plan and he has a purpose for every nation for every ethnic group, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He has a long-term plan where he will reconcile the entire world in himself through Jesus Christ. God knows what he is doing. But even in the midst of, uh, of God knowing what he's doing, uh, one thing that comes to the forefront is that the wicked will not go unpunished. There will be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment, for those who are in opposition to Jesus Christ, those who have been rebelling against the goodness, the mercy, and the grace of God, judgment will come in some shape, form. But then also we see that God is sovereignly in control over the affairs of history. That's why we say that history is his story. God is writing out everything before us. We should pay attention. One of the most arrogant things we can do as a nation. Well, let me take let me let me step back a little bit. One of the reasons we are so arrogant as a nation is because we don't care about our history. It's like it's only about today and tomorrow and we don't look back. But if we don't look back at the Old Testament to see how God is dealing with sinful people, then we miss out on understanding how God will deal with us and our sin if we don't repent in turn. Judgment is coming. But then lastly, the encouragement that we take from the book of Habakkuk is the faith of the righteous. Habakkuk says here that the righteous shall live by faith. No matter what we see going on, no matter the chaos, no matter the controversy, we live by faith. Trusting that God knows what he's doing. So as we look at this book of Habakkuk, this book answers the questions, how to live by faith when life gets hard. How do you live by faith when every time you turn around, there's a problem, there's a controversy, there's an issue in life? How do you live a life of faith when, when burden after burden is falling on your back? How do you live by faith when your boss is constantly on your nerves? How do you live by faith trying to figure out what school to put your child in that's going to be safe? How do you live by faith when you don't have the answers for tomorrow? We live by faith by trusting in the one who made tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. We live by faith in God. So as followers of Jesus, in the midst of turmoil, chaos, judgment, we have a choice on how we will respond. How will we respond to the chaos? Well, we can respond in frustration. We become the Christian who is always complaining, 
that always has issues, that always has drama, and and and, and you see it on our on our our Twitter posts, and you see it on our Facebook, and you hear it in our conversations. We don't have anything good to say about what's going on because we're frustrated that someone ain't doing something, and we could become bitter, and we could become angry, or we can respond in fear. We can say, uh, well, well, I'm afraid of what's going to take place in North Korea. And I, I'm afraid what, 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 what new laws coming down. I'm, a, I'm afraid of what they're going to do on my job. And we can have this uh, anxiety riddled life because we're living in fear. But Habakkuk gives us another way. And we can respond to the chaos and the confusion and the turmoil and faith in God. The big idea for this entire study is that Christians can find comfort in the midst of chaos. Comfort in chaos. And as Habakkuk lays out for us, you can find rest for your soul in the midst of chaos through confidence in God. You can find rest for your soul in the midst of chaos through confidence in God. I like to entitle this entire series, Joy in Judgment. Joy in Judgment. We will approach this book in, in four sermons. Today, we will just do an overview, giving you some uh, a big picture understanding of what this entire book was about. But then there are two dialogues that uh, Habakkuk has with God. We'll walk through those in individual sermons, and then finally, we'll tackle chapter three in the fourth sermon. But I'm curious. We don't do this often. Take a quick poll. Don't be shamed. By a show of hands, who in here has ever read through the entire book of Habakkuk? Not many people have actually read through the entire book of Habakkuk. So because this book is so short, what I would like for us to do, since this is the overview today, I would like for us together to walk through the entire book of Habakkuk. It's 56 verses. We're going to follow along. I have, I have asked some readers to come, and they're going to read a chapter apiece. So we're, we're going to start with Miss Jasmine McFall. She's going to come, and she's going to start with chapter 1. And then Deacon Michael Pollard, he's going to come, and he's going to read chapter 2. And then Brother Aaron Nance, he's going to close out for us with chapter 3. So if you would, you remain seated, but open up your Bibles, or, or, or check the screen, but open up your, your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. I, I, use your index. Let the person next to you help you out. But let's get there together. And we will be reading the entire book together. I'm going to be reading uh, Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed. Injustice never goes forth. For the wicked sur surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you will not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans for that bitter and hasty nation, 
who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at ru rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up? The man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will, oh, that's verse chapter two, sorry. <laughs> Chapter 2, I will take my stand in my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up at, and is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, and an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as she owes. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations, collect at his own all peoples. Shall not all things take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and joy? Woe to him who leaps heaps up what is not of his own for how long and loathe himself with pledges will not your debtors suddenly rise and those awake who will make you tremble then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations all the remnants of the people which shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence in the earth to the earth to cities and all who dwell in them woe to him who gets all get evil for gain for his house who sets his nest on high to be safe from the reach of the harm. You have devised the shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cut, cry out from the wall, and the beams from the wooden respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and finds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire. And nations worry themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters crowd the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk, in order to gaze at their 
nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup is in the Lord's right hand. It shall come round you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrifies them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when it is made, has shaped it as a mold thing, a teacher of lies. For it makes trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says, a wooden thing awake to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shaginah. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years you revive it, in the midst of the years make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like light, rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for, your, for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit and be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master who stringed with stringed instruments. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Give yourself a hand. You have read an entire book of the Bible.
Now you only have 65 more to go, and you would have the entire Bible read. Amen. But even as we look through that entire book, the tag for today is the God who speaks. Because God has chosen to speak to Judah in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their wickedness, when no one else can turn them from their sin, God chooses to speak to the very people who has turned their back on him. And in Hebrews, the first chapter, we see that long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So and now, as New Testament Christians, we hear the very voice of God through Jesus Christ and the scriptures. But it has not always been like this. In times past, long ago, God, use prophets to speak on his behalf. When we think about the prophets, we think about Abraham. We think about Abel, for his blood speaks a word. We think about e Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the way to Jesus Christ, the preeminent prophet, priest, and king. But now we, we are looking at Habakkuk, a lesser known prophet. But though he may be lesser known, he is no less important. In verse 1, we're going we're gonna to work on verse 1 today. And verse 1 reads, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And as God is speaking, God uses his message through people in order to Touch the nations. And the first thing we want to look at here is the messenger of God, Habakkuk. Because every message that God gives has a messenger. In the book of Habakkuk, uh, we don't know much about him. He is not found anywhere else in the Bible. There's no, uh, not a lot of background. As a matter of fact, there's even some debate over what his name may mean. His, his name may mean embrace. Based upon the psalm here, some speculate that he is some type of uh, choirist in the temple. A choirist is just someone who sings in the choir. But what we do know is that he's the last of the minor prophets writing to the southern kingdom before Babylonian captivity. So basically, Habakkuk is the last warning for Judah. He's letting them know what's going to come. And these events take place not much later than the end of King Josiah's reign. And, we, and, and from those dates, we kind of see that Habakkuk, he, he's a contemporary of the likes of Nahum, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. But Habakkuk himself doesn't mean much. What means, what, what, what means a lot is what comes at the end of the sentence, Habakkuk the prophet. The fact that God has chosen to put his message through him makes Habakkuk anything. A prophet was just someone who would speak on behalf of someone else. So when we see in scripture a uh, prophet, uh, that, that, that is a spokesperson or the mouthpiece 
for God. And a prophet, they, they would receive direct revelation from God. So it wasn't like they ate a, they ate something bad. They had a bad burrito before they went to bed. So they had this vision. Now they're telling everyone. But no, but God would break in on them and give them direct revelation on what they should say. And the prophet's whole responsibility, the responsibility was to convey the opinions, the reactions, the intentions, and the words of God himself. In his book, The Prophet and His Message, the author writes that prophets were intermediaries between the divine and human worlds. A type of pre-incarnational uh, manifestation of God. Prophets had a threefold repre uh, representative. They were three threefold representatives. They would represent God to the people. They would represent the community before God. But then also they would represent themselves before God. A paradigmatic passage, a, a good example of this is found in, in the book of Deuteronomy. Turn with me right quick to Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter. Beginning with the 15th verse, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. And here's the key. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. The, the, the prophet will come with God's words in his mouth to give unto the people. But what we see happen uh, most, uh, mostly anytime a prophet would come, the people will ignore his words. They would punish prophets. They would cast aside prophets and they wouldn't care about what the prophets would say from God. And here Habakkuk is speaking to the people and, and based upon the judgment that is still coming, they, they still did not listen to the word of God. They did not heed God's word, but God still had a plan for his people. The prophets, they, they function like a modern day ambassador or, or a press secretary that was speaking truth. And the prophet was only in place to speak on behalf of God. Beloved, similar to the Old Testament prophets, those who follow Jesus today, we speak not our own words, but we speak the word of God. When we are speaking, when we are communicating with family, friends, and loved ones, when we're communicating on the internet, we're not speaking mere words of opinion, or you should not be speaking mere words of opinion. We need to be speaking, what thus saith the Lord? There's a spiritual ignorance, a biblical ignorance that pervades the society, and if we just jump in with our own words, we ain't helping nobody out. But when we jump in with a word from on high, we can actually see people have life and be delivered from the sinful, wicked lies that they have been believing. We don't come with our 
opinion. We don't come with our own position. We come with what God says. And beloved, if they hated the prophets, believe me, they're going to hate you too. When you come around your family and you begin to say, this is what the Lord desires of you. This is what God wants. We, don't, we ain't got to say it in a, a mean or wicked way. You know how Christians, you know how we do sometimes. We, we can kind of cut folks. But, but when we come in a loving way and we're showing people from the word how to obey and what God expects from them, don't be surprised if people get angry with you. Don't be surprised if you lose some friendships. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden they're talking about you behind your back. If they did it to the prophets, don't, don't think, don't think uh, that they won't do it to you. Because it's not you they're doing it to. It's to Jesus Christ himself. They don't hate you. They hate God. Folks don't want any type of authority over their life. So when we come speaking a word on behalf of God, People see Jesus. And our prayers is that God has already worked in their lives, that he would open up them to the, uh, to the word that we're speaking. They would receive the word of God. We speak God's words today. And the point here is that God in his infinite wisdom, he has chosen the weak, the imperfect, the fallible, the finite, and the foolish of this world to speak on his behalf. Habakkuk was a nobody before Jesus showed up and put a word in his mouth. And, and just like Habakkuk, we, we really are nobody until God shows up and chooses to use weak folks like ourselves. So I don't have to come to the table with my own degrees and my own credentials. I don't have to show up having proved myself to God. God shows up to me and he makes me acceptable. He works through me with his message and now I work in his might. By grace. Beloved, just as God is using Habakkuk to speak to a nation, God wants to use you to speak to some folks. God wants to use you to speak to your family. God wants to use you to be a spokesperson for him on the job. So sometimes we can make it real easy to be undercover Christians on the job. We don't, tell, we don't even pray over our food. If we do, it's one of them quick ones. And then we start eating. Scared of what people may say. But Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my father. God has caused us to speak on his behalf. But then secondly, not only do we see the messenger of God, but we see the message of God. Each prophet was nothing without their message from God. And he says the oracle. This term is really there and it signifies a literary genre. We know what to expect. We know that uh, when we see that word oracle, that this is a message from the Lord that's being brought by the prophets. And Habakkuk's message in this book is a, is a, is a series of dialogues with God. And God is, 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 is having a, a town hall meeting. With Habakkuk, and he's allowing him to submit questions. How gracious is God allowing him to submit questions? But he had he enters into this conversation with God, and God begins to reveal his purposes and his plans, and that conversation becomes a means for direction for the people of Judah. When we look at the Old Testament, we primarily see four types of oracles. We see indictment oracles. 
Those are oracles that describe the offense. Those, those are times when you're reading, it says, and, and Israel, you have done this, and you have done this, and, and because you have done this, it's laying out the indictment. It's, it's, the, it's the charges on paper. These are your charges. They're being indicted because of their sinfulness. But then also, uh, like the book of Habakkuk, there, is, there are judgment oracles. Punishment is coming because you have offended God. There are instruction oracles. This is what you need to do when this situation comes. And then lastly, there are hope oracles. This is in the lines of like Daniel, the ninth chapter, where we see the 70, the weeks. There, there will be a time where God will come and restore. There will be a time that there will be figs on the tree and uh, a root of Jesse will come up. Those are hope oracles. But beloved, when God speaks, not only is he delivering us a message, not only is he delivering us a word, when God speaks, he is revealing his character to us. When we look at the book of Habakkuk, we see the character of our God. We see that God hears us. Habakkuk is crying out, why God? It is off the hook in here, and I don't know where to look. Oh, I look on my left, and I look on my right. There's injustice everywhere. What are you going to do about it? And God answers him. God hears. God hears your prayers. God hears your, your, your pain. God hears your hurt. He wants you, us to bring those deep-seated feelings to him. He can take it. And as a matter of fact, he uses that pain to show us his plan. God hears, but... Not only does God hear, God is patient. He's patient with Habakkuk, even allowing him to ask questions. But he has been patient with Judah because after their first sin, he could have struck them all down. Don't you know that God could have struck you down last night when you was going off or, or what you was doing? God, God could have struck you down this morning when you had that sinful thought. It is by his mercy and his grace that he even allows you to have that next breath. God is patient with, I don't know about you. I ain't always been a preacher. And God had to do some work in my life. And it, it took some time to get me from there to here. So when you look back over your life and you, you begin to think things over, has God been patient with you? Oh, if God did not bestow his mercy and grace upon us. So we see from this book that God is patient. But yet we're impatient with one another. But we also see that God is just. Sin will be punished. It is easy to think and to watch TV. And, and I find myself saying th things like this. Like, how do they keep getting away with that? And it's easy to, to, to be frustrated to think that sin won't be punished. But there is a day. If, if God doesn't punish them now, which he can and he will, there is a day. Where no sin, no, there would be no stone left unturned. The text of scripture says, every single word you have uttered will be judged. And every single thought, every single deed will be judged. And that God is just. And where sin has manifested itself, sin will be punished. But praise be to God that those in Christ Jesus, our sin has already been placed on Calvary's cross. So we don't have to endure the judgment. Jesus bore it all for us. Jesus paid it all. 
all to him all. He's the one who's taking our sin debt upon himself. The text of scripture says he's become the propitiation for our sin. But if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior today, you have to pay the penalty yourself. Not only is God just, but we see that God is sovereign. He is the one orchestrating everything. Nations are moving at his command. This helps us to, to trust in God that he will do what's right. He's omnipotent. Nothing can stand in his way. But then ultimately, he is victorious. And then over the course of 56 verses, Habakkuk turns from frustration. He turns from fear. And he closes out in faith. And he says, though the fig should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olives fail, and the fields yield no food. Let me, let me break it down. Though there ain't no food in my refrigerator and all the bills are due and I ain't got gas to get to my job and my children are off the hook, I will still rejoice in the Lord. The fact that God is speaking to Habakkuk says that God is for Judah, not against Judah. And the fact that we can hear from God today lets us know that God is for you. He is not against you. He wants to do well for you by drawing you near to him. And he is kind enough to deal with your sin. Sin will be punished. But beloved, just as God had a message for Judah through Habakkuk, God has a message for you through Christ Jesus today. And that message is the good news of the gospel the good news about what God has done through Jesus Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, we don't give up the gospel. We go into the gospel. It is the gospel that's going to keep us every day because the gospel is going to remind us that it's not because of my works or, or, or my ability that I have acceptance before God. It is because of the personal work of Jesus Christ that I have been accepted uh, to God. So I don't have to show out for you and I don't have to show out for them. And I can, I can be settled and, and restful knowing that Jesus has already accomplished everything. But then for those outside of the camp, the gospel says that judgment is coming and that if you continue in your sinfulness, if you continue being wayward, if you continue in your rebellion, there will be a day that you have to give an account before God and sin will be punished. Those who don't repent and turn towards Jesus by faith will be cast off into an eternity, separated from the goodness the mercy of God in hell. But the gospel says, but you can turn today. No matter what you did last night, you can turn today. No matter what you did yesterday, you can turn today. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. If you live in a nation full of sinners, you still can be rescued and delivered. That's the message that Jesus has for us today. But the problem is that we are inundated with false messages every day that takes and distracts our attention away from God. I remember doing a, a youth activity at a camp one time and, and the activity was to, to uh, how can we hear the voice of God if we're distracted? And, and we put one kid on the other end of the room and then we said, say something. They said their name and everyone was able to hear. 
And then we took that same kid and we began to put students around that kid. And we, and we told the students, now, now you begin to yell and the same student, you say something. And because of the other noise going around, we couldn't really hear that student. And then we took more students and, and put them around that one student. And we said, y'all yell and this person's going to try to communicate with us. And, and what we noticed, the more people and the more voices and the more messages that you placed around the student, uh, it became harder and harder to hear to the point that we could not hear what the student was saying. And some of you have surrounded yourself with people and voices and messages and they're, and they're too loud and they're, and, they're, and they're keeping you from hearing the voice of God. Some of y'all need to sit down Cut off the TV, cut off the internet, cut off your phone, and open up your Bible and allow God to begin speaking to your situation. God has a plan for your situation. He knows where you are, and you're complaining that I can't hear from God. Well, you need to sit down and shut up and let God speak, and you will hear from him. Because we serve a God who speaks. This is what Habakkuk is communicating to us today. God meets us where we are. He meets Judah in their sin. And God would meet us wherever we are. Have you ever heard a word from God right on time? God is speaking. He spoke to Judah and he's speaking to us now. God, God is not only speaking to you this morning. God wants to speak through you this morning. And the message that God wants to speak through you this morning it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And that good news is the fact that God has a plan for your life and he has a design for all of life. That God is good and he created every single thing good and that he wants you to obey him and live according to his standard. God has a design for your, your marriage and he has a design for how you live on your job and he has a, a design for how you interact with one another. But the problem is, in our own sinfulness and our rebellion, we have departed from God's design. And when we depart from God's design, the Bible calls that sin. Sin enters into the, uh, the equation, and sin separates us from a holy and a righteous God. And because sin separates us, when you are separated from God, you end up in a situation called brokenness. And we see this brokenness around us every single day. When we turn on the news, we see brokenness. When we drive down the street, we see brokenness. It's one of those things like you know it when you see it, brokenness. And in our own lives, we don't just see brokenness out there. We see brokenness uh, in our relationships and in our heart and the wounds that we have. But the problem is we don't look to God to fix our brokenness. We look to the world and we begin to, 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 to look to relationships to fix our brokenness. We begin to look to, to, to our jobs to fix this brokenness. We begin to look to drugs and alcohol to, to numb the pain of this brokenness. And, and all around us we see brokenness and we experience this brokenness. But, but in a way, experience brokenness is a good thing because it reminds us that we will never be satisfied in ourselves. And we need to look outside of ourselves in order to be made whole. And God, looking upon our brokenness, he does something. He sends Jesus Christ into this world and he gives us the good news of Christ Jesus, the gospel. 
And what the gospel says that Jesus came and he lived the sinless life that we should have lived. And he died the shameful death that we deserve. But not only did he die, but he was buried in the tomb. He died for real, for real. And he rose and God raised him up on the third day. And he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father and is interceding on your behalf. And the Bible tells us that he's coming back again to rule and reign victoriously. That is the good news of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there because you guess you just can't say, well, I see the gospel. You got to believe in the gospel. And the Bible says we believe in the gospel through repentance and in faith. Repentance is just a Bible word that says, I got to change of mind. I used to live this way, but now I'm going to live this way. And I repent because Jesus has said that I need to turn from living for myself. And that I need to live for him. And I need to believe he is who he says he is. And he did what he said he would do. And because he has risen with all power in his hand, he can be trusted. And when I repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, I now have the ability to recover and to pursue God's design for my life. And I can now live the life that God wants me to live because the Holy Spirit is living within me supernaturally enabling me to make the right decisions and the right choices so I can have a marriage like God wants me to have. I can have a friendship like God wants me to have. I can be the type of co-worker that God wants me to be because I have been supernaturally infused with, with God himself enabling me to, to make much of Christ and that people will see Christ in me. And I can pursue God's glory from now to eternity because it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about what Jesus Christ wants to do. So the message that we have is a message about Christ Jesus crucified that your sins can be forgiven when you trust in him. We preach the gospel that sinners would be saved, that Christ would be glorified. God is speaking. Won't you listen? For we serve a God who speaks. Father, thank you for your word and the power that is in the gospel. For you have declared it is the power of God unto righteousness. So Father, I ask that you would impact someone's heart today. That you would transform us. That we would indeed be able to receive comfort in the midst of confusion. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen.